You're listening to The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam, the series that visits those distinguished as leaders of humanity, not only in history, but in the ranks of the next world. Dive into the stories of the giants who were the first of their kind as they rose to the occasion and became preserved inspirations for generations to come. With your host, Sheikh Dr. Omar Salaman, let's meet The Firsts. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. So welcome back everyone. Insha'Allah ta'ala we are now in part two of Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And um, I think that all of you can appreciate the challenge of trying to cover the life of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu and how to even choose where to start. Because with Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, while he is not superior to Abu Bakr as-Siddiq we should say that from the very beginning, that from our creed, we understand that there is no person that is better after the Prophet than Abu Bakr as-Siddiq But the life of Umar particularly the Khilaf of Umar is a lot deeper than the life of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq because Umar's Khilafah lasted a little over a decade, whereas Abu Bakr of course his Khilafah was only a little over two years, most of which was solidifying and, and holding everything down after the death of the Prophet rather than initiating a system of what life would look like after the death of the Prophet for the Muslims. Whereas in the case of Umar anhu, you have the genius of the ethics of Islam and what it looks like to have a just ruler in place for a long time and taking everything that he learned from the Prophet وسلم, and implementing it in the most beautiful and in the best of ways. So here's what we're going to do tonight with Nahi Ta'ala. Tonight will be the most instructive of the lectures on Umar anhu. Why? Because I want us to focus on 10 virtues of Umar anhu, some of which are unique to him and some of which he simply excels in. They are ethics in Islam, virtues in Islam that he implements in the best of ways, in the most beautiful of ways. And even the ones that are unique to him, there is a reason why they are unique to him and we can derive lessons from that inshallah ta'ala. So if you're a note taker, this is your lecture to take notes from inshallah ta'ala. And then next week, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala, we will talk about his Khilafah, particularly as a shepherd, as a leader, and we'll also talk about his death and his legacy عنه, next week. So tonight, ta'ala, we're looking through 10 things that are unique to him عنه, where we can take some instruction from for ourselves. The first thing that I'll mention in this regard, because it's not one of the virtues, uh, is simply that he is an answer to the dua of the Prophet there is a reason why the Prophet ﷺ wanted Umar to become Muslim so bad. He saw something in him. He saw many things in him. And it can truly be said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has customized this one man for his sake and for the sake of Islam. And that there is not a single person that you will find. After the Prophet and of course, because Abu Bakr anhu, we mention his fadl, his virtue always above Umar anhu. but just a single person from whom so much khair, so much good can possibly stem. So the very first thing that I'll start off with is being divinely inspired to truth. Divinely inspired to truth. 
This is a notion in Islam that's very interesting. Intuition. Do we believe in intuition? Do we believe in righteous intuition? That a person starts to have righteous inclinations and hunches? Yes. And to put that in perspective, we all have our fitrah, right? So Allah has created us innately good. And the fitrah guides us towards tawheed, towards monotheism, towards mercy, towards justice. Inna Allah ya'muru bid'adli wal-ihsan. SubhanAllah, the things that Umar radiallahu anhu will be distinguished by. The fitrah is innate within all of us. The more sincere we are with our intentions, the closer we become to our fitrah, the more that our natural actions, our intuitions, our views start to line up with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has intended for us. Okay, so the more truthful we are in our talab, in our seeking of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more our intuition becomes sound as well. And it starts to line up with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has intended for us. Now, does this mean that intuition ever overcomes revelation? No. But subhanAllah, the most, uh, the, the most profound example of that was one of the earliest biographies that we studied, which was Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufayl, the uncle of Umar. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them both. Zayd, of course, who died before the Prophet وسلم, received revelation, but without knowing anything of the Qur'an, without even living to witness it, already was an advocate for Tawheed, for monotheism, already was stopping people from burying their daughters alive, already took exception with some of the economic injustices that he was witnessing, already you know, had an aversion to alcohol and find it to, found it to be unholy, because his intuition was sound, because he was so sincere in his pursuit of his own fitrah, of his own goodness. No person that you will find like Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu in this regard that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would praise over and over and over again. First, we start off with the fact that this is a dua. This was a supplication from Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. We all have heard the dua where we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allahumma arini al-haqqa haqqa, warzukna tiba'a, wa arina al-baatila baatila, warzukna ajtinaba. In another narration, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, by the way, this is his dua that we trace, where he was reported to have said, Allahumma arini al-haqqa haqqa, wa wafiqni li-tiba'ihi, wa arini al-baatila baatila, wa wafiqni li-ijtinaabihi. Again, Allahumma arini al-haqqa haqqa, wa wafiqni li-tiba'ihi, wa arini al-baatila baatila, wa wafiqni li-ijtinaabihi. In the singular, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu used to make this dua, Oh Allah, show me the truth as truth. I want to see the truth. I'm not afraid of the truth. You know, sometimes a person says, I wish you wouldn't have told me that this was haram, or did you have to ask, or did you even have to look into it? It's like when, the, when, when something's a little bit doubtful, like, please don't ask, because I don't want to know if it's haram. I know a lot of you are thinking about certain restaurants in your heads right now. I don't want to know if it's haram, because if it's haram, or if there's an ingredient in it that I can't eat, then I'm not going to be able to enjoy my food. Umar radiallahu anhu is saying, Ya Allah, show me truth as truth. I want to see the truth for what it is. SubhanAllah, and then grant me tawfiq. Grant me the ability to follow it. So don't just show it to me, then grant me success in following it. And I want to see falsehood for what it is. I don't want to hide from it. I, I don't care what the consequences of the truth are and what falsehood is. Show me what falsehood is, and then grant me the success, the ijtinabihi, to stay away from it. This is why the Prophet ﷺ said, 
in another authentic hadith. لَقَدْ كَانَ فِيمَا قَبْلَكُمْ مِنَ الْأُمَمِ مُحَدَّثُونَ There were people in the nations that came before you that were spoken to by who? By the angels. Spoken to by the angels. Now, let's not get back into the whole angel series, but there's a shaitan that does waswasa, right? There are also angels that prompt you. And when a person is so determined to have their nafs be purified, their self be purified, it's like they're hearing the angels that are speaking to them. Not like in a conversational way, but they are prompting them. You know, when we say muhaddith, that's someone that speaks, hadith. Muhaddath is spoken to. The Prophet said there were these special people in the nations that came before you. And in one narration, the Prophet specified Bani Israel, people that were so righteous that the angels would speak to them. And the Prophet said, فَإِنْ يَكُوا فِي أُمَّتِي أَحَدْ If there is anyone in my ummah that's like that, فَإِنَّهُ عُمَرْ It's Umar Like he is spoken to by the angels. The ulama comment on this as well. Again, this is an instructive lecture now in terms of the virtues and the lessons. That the reward of juhd, the reward of striving is not just al-jaza, is not just the reward, but it's before that, al-hidayah. لَنَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ سُبُلَنَا We will guide them to our paths. And then, لَنَجَزِيَنَّهُمْ بِأَحْسَنِ مَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ Then we will reward them to the best of what they used to do. So the guidance that Allah gives a person is actually a reward in and of itself for their mujahada, for their striving. And so Umar anhu would strive so much against his nafs, so much against his self, that it was like he was listening to the angels talking to him at that point. SubhanAllah, guiding him and prompting him naturally towards goodness. And Umar anhu described this in an authentic narration from him. He said in one of his khutbas anhu, أَفْلَحَ مِنْكُمْ أَفْلَحَ مِنْكُمْ Verily, those amongst you who have succeeded are those حُفِذَ مِنَ الْهَوَى وَالطَّمِعِ وَالْغَضَبِ لَيْسَ فِي مَا دُونَ الصِّدْقِ مِنَ الْحَدِيثِ خَيْرِ he said, Verily, he has succeeded amongst you who has protected himself from hawa, from desire, from attama', which is greed, which is uh, having high hopes in this world. Right? Hawa is your empty desires. Tama' is greed. And the third thing is al ghadab, anger. He said, If a person is protected from these three things, then that person will be a successful person. And he said, there is no good in anything like there is in truthful speech. To be truthful when you speak, to be truthful when you pursue, to be truthful when you ask. There is something about Umar about his honesty that is endearing, right? Sometimes, you know when someone is just so honest that you know, you wish like you didn't have to say it at that moment. I'll give you one of those examples because there are many of them with the Prophet ﷺ. He was just too honest, right? He hears the Prophet ﷺ say that no one of you truly believes until he loves me more than everything, including his family, his wealth, and even himself. Umar could have just kept quiet there. But he said, wait a minute, Ya Rasulullah. He said, he actually was doing the calculations. <laughs> He said, I love you more than my wealth. I don't care about my money. And I love you more than my family. He loves his family, but I love you more than my family. But he said, but I'm not sure that I can really honestly say that I love you more than myself yet. 
Subhanallah, look how honest, like, why put yourself in that situation? Keep it to yourself, right? But he's too honest. So he's saying to the Prophet wait a minute, Ya Rasulullah, I don't know if I love you more than myself. And the Prophet repeated, until I am more beloved to you than your own self, Ya Umar. Umar radiallahu anhu went home and he played out all of these scenarios in his head. Amongst them, you know when someone says, I would die for you? That's a nice expression. Except when the bullet is coming your way. May Allah protect us all. And instead of jumping in front, you're out the door. Umar radiallahu anhu started to play in his head the scenarios. If an arrow was coming to the Prophet would I go in front of him? Or would I, uh, would I run away? Then he played in his head. He said, am I happier when Allah bestows something upon me or when Allah bestows something upon his Prophet So SubhanAllah, in his honesty, he played through all of those things and he came to Rasulullah the next day and he said, I swear by Allah that you are more beloved to me than myself. And the Prophet smiled and he said, Al-an ya Umar, Al-an. Now, O oh Umar, now you're there. So his honesty, subhanAllah, was so much that he would speak it even in situations that would put him in a, in, in a detrimental place or in a place that might be a little bit awkward because of his honesty, radiAllahu ta'ala anhu. So that's the first thing, divinely inspired towards the truth, muhaddathun. And that is why you have the narration where the Prophet said, لَوْ كَانَ نَبِيًا مِنْ بَعْدِي لَكَانَ عُمَرٍ If there was to be a Prophet after me, it would have been Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And the scholars that authenticated, or that viewed that hadith as authentic, they explained, they said, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu's guidance to the truth, and his ability after that guidance. What he would do after he knew something was true, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, was distinguishing about him, and that is why he is Al-Faruq. Al-Faruq is the one who distinguishes between truth and falsehood. He sorts it out and then he exerts himself in truth and then he eliminates falsehood. That's how he is radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he is a person who is muhaddath, who is spoken to. The second virtue of Umar radiallahu anhu, which is building upon that, is that the Qur'an agreed with Umar radiallahu anhu on multiple occasions. Umar preceded revelation with many of his opinions. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descends Qur'an to agree with the view of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu on multiple occasions. One of them we covered in the story of Sauda bint Zam'a radiallahu ta'ala anha, the ayat of hijab, the verses of hijab. The most famous one is in regards to the prohibition of alcohol, wine. Remember last week we spoke about this? No one loved wine more than Umar, right? He literally only went to the Kaaba before Islam. He only went to the Kaaba because he couldn't find his drinking buddies that night. That was the hobby of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was to get together with his buddies and to drink. So when people are thinking, I hope I don't find out that it's haram, right? Or I, I don't want to know that it's haram or don't, don't, you know, don't make it obvious to me. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was so sincere in his pursuit of Allah that he would ask Allah in his tahajjud, Ya Allah, make things clear to us in regards to alcohol. Now by the way, in Umar's opinion, Umar anhu thought that alcohol should be prohibited, even though it was something that he enjoyed. Okay. Now realize the Sahaba, those that used to drink, were drinking even after the Hijrah to Medina, because it wasn't prohibited until a few years after the Hijrah to Medina. In fact, after they won the Battle of Badr, Hamza anhu, 
drunk wine after they won the Battle of Badr before the prohibition came. A famous incident, right? This was something that was known to them. And he was asking Allah, Oh Allah, make it clear to us. And he was asking Allah to prohibit it. First, the prohibition came what? Do not come to the prayer while you're intoxicated. No drinking when you're coming to Salah. No drinking when you're coming to Salah. Then eventually the prohibition came down of alcohol altogether. And that was from the, from the intuition of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu as well. That the revelation agreed with Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. When it came to the captives of Badr, very famous incident. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa as we know, he showed mercy to the captives of Badr. Now mercy is a good thing. And this is the characteristic, the khuluq of Islam. However, though it is a noble quality of Islam, the Prophet ﷺ was not yet in a position of power where letting those captives of Badr go would not put the Prophet ﷺ in the community in a bad situation. Why? Because what did they do? They went back to Mecca, they got their strength back, and they came back for Uhud. Right? So they were not an honorable people, they were not people that would abide by the contract, that they would not fight the Prophet ﷺ anymore. They were not a people that would appreciate the grace and the mercy that was shown to them. And the Prophet ﷺ was in a very vulnerable place. But the Prophet ﷺ, he loved to show mercy. He loved to show mercy. And Allah is more merciful than the Prophet ﷺ. He didn't want to fight these people in the first place. Allah said, fighting was prescribed for you and you hate it. Right? But after they fought, the Prophet ﷺ was lenient. Now the Prophet ﷺ showed them leniency and let them go too quick. Umar advocated for a sterner approach, not to kill them, but a sterner approach with the captives, to hold them, to deter them. And he comes in and he sees the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr both of them were crying. And Umar he said, tell me why you're crying so that I can cry too. And, you know, I want to participate in this crying fi sabilillah. So whatever it is, either it'll make me cry or I'll make myself cry, but I want to cry with you guys too. Everything was Rasulullah Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhumah, right? The Prophet would say, I Abu Bakr and Umar did this, I Abu Bakr and Umar saw this. And it turned out that the verse came down where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down revelation that agreed with the opinion of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Another time Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said what, uh, that, that I saw Maqam Ibrahim and I told Rasulullah sallallahu Ya Rasulullah, if you would take Maqam Ibrahim as a place of prayer. SubhanAllah, that was Umar radiallahu anhu. He just said, you know, Ibrahim alayhi our father who built this Kaaba, if only you would take his place as a musalla, as a place of prayer. Soon after, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, وَاتَّخِذُوا مِنْ مَقَامِ إِبْرَاهِيمَ مُصَلَّى Allah revealed the verse that agreed with Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Another situation, again, the Prophet sallallahu mercy, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, the man who sought to undermine the Prophet sallallahu from within, for the entire stay of Medina, tried to crumble the society of the Prophet ﷺ from within, put the Prophet ﷺ in a vulnerable place over and over and over again, tried to hurt him ﷺ, tried to unseat him, plotted with the enemies from outside and inside. I mean, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul was always plotting against the Prophet ﷺ. He never took a break, never took a break in the entire time the Prophet ﷺ was in Medina. And when he dies, what did the Prophet ﷺ do? The Prophet not only prayed janaz on him, Rasulullah honored the request of his son to wrap him in his own garment. Something the Prophet only did for Hamza radiallahu anhu.
Subhanallah, I mean, this was so dear to the heart of the Prophet He saw the son who was a righteous man. Abdullah's son, Abdullah, was a Sahabi radiallahu anhu. And he, he knew who his father was. He knew what his father had done. So he's looking for anything to give him some rahmah, some mercy. So the Prophet rahmatan a mercy to the world. He takes off his garments and the Prophet shrouds Abdullah ibn Ubay bin Salul, <laughs> the head of the hypocrites in his own garment to lead salah on him. And Umar radiallahu anhu is trying to stop the Prophet from leading the salah. Why? Was it because he hated him? No. Umar radiallahu anhu was afraid that this would send a signal to the munafiqeen that they have a chance. Continue in your hypocrisy, you have a chance. Like if at the end of this, Rasulullah is so merciful that he's going to prey on you despite everything you're doing to harm him, then they'll think they have a chance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verse in Surah At-Tawbah, verses from verse 80 to 84, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Prophet not to prey upon them. And this is of course the fiqh of this, the jurisprudence of this is that, you know, that there are people that might commit major sins and one of the ways that a person can deter from a major sin is that the Imam or someone who is uh, known to lead the Salah would abstain from the Salah in this situation. And this is of course debatable. The point is to deter people from, you know, the sin that is committed. So from their hypocrisy. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed in regards to Umar radiallahu anhu over and over and over again verses that agreed with the opinion of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And subhanAllah, this relationship with the Qur'an, by the way, is one where Umar radiallahu anhu also saw the importance of the preservation of the Qur'an in written form as its mushaf. Especially once Musaylim al-Kadab started to kill the Hufaf. When the Hufaf were being murdered, when the, those who memorized the Qur'an were being murdered, the Qur'an was gathered in the house of Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha. And Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu wanted that the Qur'an be gathered in copies so that no one would be able to claim that it's not preserved so that no one, so that if all the Hufaf were killed, the Qur'an is protected. Now obviously Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who preserves, but this is from his wisdom radiallahu ta'ala anhu and the part that we do. And he pushed Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu to where Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, فَلَمْ يَزَلْ عُمَرُ يُرَاجِعُنِي حَتَّى شَرَحَ اللَّهُ صَدْرِي لِذَارِكَ وَرَأَيْتُ فِي ذَارِكَ الَّذِي رَأَى عُمَرُ That Umar radiallahu anhu appealed to me until Allah opened my heart to it. And I saw what Umar was trying to say. I saw things the way Umar saw it. Now usually we're accustomed to the opposite. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu sees things exactly the way the Prophet sees things. Umar radiallahu anhu follows suit. Right? And this is from the humility of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu also to recognize that the truth is with Umar in this regard. He has a point here. He has a point here. And so the commissioning of Zayd ibn Thabit radiallahu ta'ala anhu to then collect the Qur'an from the collection of Hafsa, though it was memorized by multiple companions at that point, comes from the pushing, the insistence of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu upon Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And so this is the second thing, which is the way the Qur'an would agree with him radiallahu ta'ala anhu. The third thing, and this is uh, a really blessed category, there is no person who the Prophet had more dreams about than Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. SubhanAllah. No person who the Prophet would see dreams about more than Umar bin Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And there are several dreams, and I'll go through them insha'Allah ta'ala. The first one, uh, probably the most uh, 
famous of them. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, so this category three is virtues, the Prophet's dreams about him. He said, بَيْنَمَا أَنَا نَائِمٌ رَأَيْتُ النَّاسَ يُعْضُونَ عَلَيَّ وَعَلَيْهِمْ قُمُسٌ مِنْهَا مَا يَبْلُغُ الثَّدْيَ وَمِنْهَا مَا يَبْلُغُ دُونَ ذَلِكَ he said وسلم, that I saw my ummah, the people displayed before me. And I want you to ask yourself, if I was in the dream of the Prophet وسلم, where would I be? Okay, Rasulullah says some people had these shirts that only covered a part of their chest. Some of them had garments that went down to their knees, some below that. So basically people are in front of the Prophet وسلم, he's seeing his ummah. And while he's looking at his ummah, He's seeing that everyone has a different shirt length. Okay? And he said, while I was watching that strange sight, subhanAllah, he said, Marra alayya Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, wa alayhi qamisun yajurru. Umar radiallahu anhu walked in front of me and he had this long garment that he was dragging radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Umar with his huge height radiallahu ta'ala anhu, a garment that he is dragging. They said, O Messenger of Allah, how did you interpret that dream? Remember the dreams of the Prophet are wahi, a revelation. What was the answer of the Prophet He said, a deen, religion. That is his commitment to the deen. That's what the ulama mentioned, a tamassuk bid deen. The way a person holds on to the deen. خُذُوا مَا آتَيْنَاكُمْ To take what we have given you with strength. That Umar anhu's commitment to the deen was represented in that garment. And you think of the Day of Judgment where everyone is standing under the sun and people sweat in different levels. If you were in the dream of the Prophet ﷺ, how long would your shirt be? This is one narration about Umar anhu. Another narration which one of you just alluded to that Rasulullah said, I saw in a dream that I had this cup of milk and I was drinking from this milk. And then the milk started to flow out of my, out of my fingers. So Rasulullah is seeing milk flowing out of his fingers to where the Prophet said it even was coming through his nails. So like the milk is flowing abundantly from his hand وسلم, and Umar was catching the milk. And Umar was drinking from that milk. They said, فَمَا أَوَلْتَهُ يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ how did you interpret that, O Messenger of Allah? He said, Al-ilm, knowledge, Allahu Akbar. That the knowledge of Umar anhu, it was like it was flowing through the hands of the Prophet the fingers of the Prophet He was so eager, so eager to catch everything he could hear, every word from the Prophet SubhanAllah, you know, in Al-Madinah, there's one narration about Umar anhu, which is very interesting when we talk about uh, particularly circles of knowledge, okay? That Umar had a neighbor that was from the Ansar, that if he could not be around the Prophet he would assign that neighbor to go be with the Prophet to basically tell him everything that he missed. That was the eagerness of Umar to capture every single bit of knowledge that he could from the Prophet Another dream. Rasulullah said, and I'll read this only in English because it's a longer dream. Rasulullah said, while I was sleeping, I saw myself at this well and I had this bucket. So I was pulling out of the well as much as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had willed for me to pull out of this well. So then I handed the pail or the bucket to Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he said, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu pulled some of it, but he said there was a la'af, there was a weakness in his pulling radiallahu anhu. May Allah forgive him for that weakness. Now, by the way, this is not sinfulness. 
This is what the ulama are referring to, the time, the khilafah, the, the succession of Abu Bakr to the Prophet Did Abu Bakr make any mistakes, radiallahu anhu, was their weakness? No. He's talking about the dream, the time that he had. It was a short time that Abu Bakr anhu pulled what he could from that well to follow after the Prophet Then Rasulullah said, Umar anhu took over the bucket. And Rasulullah said, I never saw a person stronger than him in performing that work, in pulling from that well. Rasulullah said, in his dream, I watched Umar anhu pull from the well until every single person drank to their fill and even the animals had knelt down so that they could drink from it as well. Now what's one of the things that you will learn about Umar anhu and his khilafah? His justice even reached the animals, subhanAllah. So the water that Umar anhu was pulling. Now by the way, what is water in a dream? It's, it's, it's guidance, right? Allah refers to it as revelation. So the, the goodness that comes from al-ma, the goodness that comes from that water. The fourth one is a funny one. Um, SubhanAllah, it's funny, but it's also beautiful. Rasulullah says, while I was looking at al-Jannah, he said, I heard the footsteps of Bilal anhu. And the Prophet ﷺ also felt the presence of Umm Sulaym who one day we will talk about. So the Prophet ﷺ is aware of Bilal and Umm Sulaym. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them. Then the Prophet ﷺ said, I saw this beautiful palace. And he said that there was a woman that was doing wudu on the side of the palace. And the Prophet ﷺ said the palace was so beautiful he thought it was his. SubhanAllah. Rasulullah is seeing a palace in Jannah and it is so beautiful. Rasulullah said, I thought it was mine. So I asked Jibreel, is that for me? Is that palace for me? And Jibreel said, rather, that is for Umar ibn Khattab. So the Prophet said, I remembered the ghira, the jealousy of Umar. So I quickly went away from that palace. Like even the Prophet knows the ghira of Umar that he was an honorable man and I didn't want to offend Umar. You imagine the Prophet saying that I'm looking at his palace in Jannah and I saw that there was a woman on the side of the palace doing wudu and I realized that's Umar anhu's house. As soon as Jibreel told the Prophet, this is for Umar, Rasulullah said, I quickly turned away because I remembered the ghira of Umar. Now, if you're Umar sitting in this gathering when the Prophet is narrating this, what are you thinking? Like, wow. That's my palace in Jannah. Can I see it, Ya Rasulullah? What color was the was the exterior? You know, what was the woman's name? What was the river like? Like he could have asked all these questions, right? He could have taken the moment to like smile, like think about the, the bragging rights. Because Rasulullah is narrating this dream after Fajr in his masjid and Umar is sitting right in front of him. Right? Think about the, 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 the boasting rights you have on the Sahaba. But what did the Sahaba say? Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu started to cry. What is he crying about? He said, Bi anta wa ummi ya Rasulullah. May my mother and father be sacrificed for you, O Messenger of Allah. A'alayka aghar? You feared my jealousy? Would I be jealous with you, Ya Rasulullah? Like I made you uncomfortable? In Jannah, looking at my palace. How beautiful is that sincerity? That's where his mind and his heart went. 
Like, Ya Rasulullah, wait a minute, you know, you want me to have ghira with you, Ya Rasulullah? No, I would never have ghira with you, Ya Rasulullah. No, like, how could I do that to you in Jannah? That was the immediate reaction of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, which again, subhanAllah, shows you his beauty, his sincerity in that regard. So this is the third thing uh, that we take, the third virtue, which is specific to Umar radiallahu anhu, there is no companion about whom the Prophet had so many dreams. Always dreams about his khayr, his goodness, and about what he has in the hereafter. And subhanAllah, with all that, the man fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as if he is a person who is not going to be granted Jannah. The fourth thing, the shaitans fleeing away from Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Uh, this is a famous narration. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He said, Istadhan Umar ibn Khattab ala Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa indahu niswatun min Quraysh yukallimnahu wa yastakthirnahu. That Umar radiallahu anhu had asked permission to enter upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa one time and he had some women from Quraysh that were speaking to him wa yastakthirnahu, which means they were asking for more. Now, some of the Sahaba, they said that the Prophet ﷺ, or some of the commentators, they said that the Prophet ﷺ was being asked from these women uh, something of more in terms of, uh, you know, some expenses or something, right? They were asking for something that was material in its nature from the Prophet ﷺ, okay? Now, the problem was, okay? Their voices were louder than his voice Prophet was, was shy, he was modest he would sit with the women of the community and they were speaking in a louder voice than his and then once they heard that Umar was outside they all went and they hid behind the curtains of the house so Umar asked permission to come in the women that were sitting with the Prophet ﷺ a minute ago that were raising their voices in the presence of the Messenger ﷺ, they were hiding, right? So Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu فَأَذِنَ لَهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ فَدَخَلَ عُمَرُ رَضِيَ anhu wa وَرَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمُ يَضْحَكُ This is in Bukhari. That Umar radiallahu anhu walked in, the Prophet ﷺ is sitting in the middle of the room and the Prophet ﷺ is laughing. This is our beloved one وسلم. He's laughing at the situation. What he just witnessed, that the women hid from Umar radiallahu anhu after just a minute ago. They were talking to him, they were asking for more, their voices were getting louder with the Prophet When Umar radiallahu anhu came, they all hid. Umar has no idea what's going on. He walks in and he sees the Prophet laughing. So Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, Allahu sinnak ya Rasulullah. May Allah keep you laughing, O Messenger of Allah. May Allah always keep you happy, ya Rasulullah. Why are you laughing? So the Prophet said, Ya Umar, I'm laughing because there were women that were sitting here just now before you came in and they had no problem raising their voices when I was sitting with them but when you came in they all went and they started to hide so Umar radiallahu anhu he looks out and he, he calls out to him what does he say? you enemies of yourselves aduwat anfusikun enemies of yourselves you have haiba with Umar and not with the Prophet you have awe of Umar and not with the Prophet like what is wrong with you? So one of them calls back out to Umar radiallahu anhu and says, إِنَّكَ أَشَدْ وَأَغْلَظْ مِنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أَوْ إِنَّكَ أَفَضُّ وَأَغْلَظْ مِنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم Because you are harsher and harder harder than the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم So they, they called back out to Umar radiallahu anhu and fought back when he made that comment. Now by the way, subhanAllah, these are the worst two qualities that a person can have, right? 
Literally the same two words that Allah says to the Prophet if you were harsh, hard-hearted, they would have left, they would have fled from you. So Umar says, wait a minute, really? Am I afad wa aghlad? Is this true? So now he's concerned. One moment, he's, you know, he's advocating for the Prophet the next moment he's, he's afraid. So he looks to the Prophet who is laughing at the situation and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and he never lies sallallahu alayhi wasallam, even whether he is joking, whether he is sad, the Prophet sallallahu only speaks the truth. He says, وَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِي He said, I swear by the one in whose hand is my soul. مَا لَقِيَكَ الشَّيْطَانُ سَالِكًا فَجًّا قَتْ إِلَّا سَلَكَ فَجًّا غَيْرَ فَجِّكْ He said sallallahu alayhi wasallam, I swear by the one in whose hands is my soul. مَا لَقِيَكَ الشَّيْطَانُ سَارِكًا فَجًّا قَطْ Shaytan never sees you taking a path. إِلَّا سَلَكَ فَجًّا غَيْرَ فَجِّكْ Except that he takes another path. Shaytan will not even be on the same street as you. That's powerful. Shaytan does not want to be anywhere near you, O Umar. Right? So what the Prophet ﷺ is, SubhanAllah, and this is beautiful, did Rasulullah insult anyone in this process? Did he make anyone feel bad? No. SubhanAllah. But he's comforting Umar and giving him a glad tidings. That you're not fadlan ghalid al-qalb. You're not harsh-hearted or, or, or a person who is in a way that is not praiseworthy, right? Too harsh. But the harshness that you have is against the shaitan to the point shaitan. You think the women fled from you in this regard? Shaitan would flee from you as well, O Umar. Now what does that even mean? Is that just an expression? And this is something that's really important for us to take. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tell us about following the shaitan? We know the impact of shaitan upon us. That waswasa lahum. Shaitan whispers. And Umar radiallahu anhu is not ma'asum, he's not infallible. Shaitan can whisper, right? What is the impact of these, these words? Allah tells us what in regards to following the shaitan. وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا خُطُوَاتِ shaitan. Don't follow his footsteps. Don't walk behind him. Okay? الْوَسْوَاسِ الْخَنَّاسِ He whispers, and when you remember Allah, he sinks. Shaitan knows to penetrate your fortress when you're not on guard. And your fortress is the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So subhanAllah ibn Hajar rahimahullah ta'ala, he says about this, Umar radiallahu anhu, kana da'ima dhikr. SubhanAllah, first thing, he was always in a state of dhikr. Always in a state of remembering Allah. Like the, the man's whole life is like he's walking dhikr. Everything about him is dhikr. He's remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So shaitan never catches Umar radiallahu anhu not alert. He's always on guard. So one of, this, one of the implications of this hadith is that shaitan lost hope. Like, I'm never going to get that guy. Let me go try to bother someone else. He's, he's a lost case for me. That's the first thing. The second one, subhanAllah, which is a very beautiful implication of this, is that... If shaitan can't even be in the same place as you, how can he even whisper to you? So Allah says, don't follow the footsteps of shaitan. That's after he whispered and then you start to, okay, let me entertain this a bit. Let me start walking behind him. 
But that's after you've given him entrance to come whisper to you. So if you don't even let him in your space, how's he even going to whisper to you? So it's like Umar did not even give shaitan khutuwat, footsteps into his path. Umar put such a barrier between him and the shaitan, shaitan did not even have room to whisper to him. SubhanAllah, this is really, really important. None of the Sahaba were ma'asum. None of them were infallible, right? But do you ever see Umar make a mistake that is shaitani in its nature, that is devilish in its nature? No. His mistake sometimes is he, he gets like in Hudaybiyah, right? Umar disputed with the Prophet and he was wrong that day, right? Where he said, we should go forward, Ya Rasulullah. But that was not out of a place of ego. It wasn't out of a place of desire, a place of, of something evil, right? It was something else. Umar who never you know, allowed his nafs to give place to the shaitan to where he exceeded the bounds in that regard in a way that suggested a lowly self of his taking control of him. There's another narration from Hafsa in a Tabarani that the shaitan has never met Ma Laqiya Umar. The shaitan has never met Umar since the day he became Muslim. <laughs> like from that moment, subhanAllah, remember what we talked about last week, the story of Umar becoming Muslim, like would you see this man and the way he was acting that day, I mean he's fighting all the enemies of Islam, the Muslims are marching behind him. That same morning he was going to kill the Prophet But subhanAllah, from the moment that he read Taha, that was it. It was like the shaitan said, <laughs> this is our parting. Bye-bye Umar, right? SubhanAllah, he had gotten to Umar radiallahu anhu enough to, to, to inflame him to go kill the Prophet ﷺ, but once Umar radiallahu anhu read the Qur'an and changed, that day shaitan parted ways with Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So that's number four, the shaitan would flee from him radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Number five, his ibadah, his worship. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha mentioned that there was no one amongst us that was known to pray the night like Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Remember, uh, those of you that, that watched the Ramadan series on meeting Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, this narration where the Prophet sallallahu was walking the streets at night listening to the qiyam of the companions. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu's voice was too low. The Prophet sallallahu said, uh, you know, why is your voice so low? Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, Ya Rasulullah, the one who needed to hear me, heard me. I was making him who needs to hear me, hear me, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's okay if my voice is low. And the Prophet said, raise your voice a bit. And the Prophet told Umar anhu, why are you so loud <laughs> at night when you pray Qiyam? Like you're walking anywhere near the house of Umar anhu, you can hear his voice booming with the Qur'an throughout the night. And he said, Ya Rasulullah, I was reading that loudly, so I could make the shayateen flee. SubhanAllah, I was reading loud so the shayateen would flee everywhere around me. Prophet told him, lower your voice a bit. So Abu Bakr anhu, raise your voice a bit. Umar anhu, lower your voice a bit. But it shows you the mentality. Aisha anha mentions that Umar anhu, that there was no one amongst us that was known for his night prayer, like Umar anhu. And his voice was too loud to conceal. You know, he had such a deep voice. You know, someone with that deep of a voice, even if they try to whisper, it doesn't work. Right? His voice was the deepest amongst the companions. And Umar anhu needed no loudspeaker. Right? That's why they thought when the Prophet was dying, let's let Umar lead because everyone will hear Umar anhu leading the salah. He was so loud with his recitation and he couldn't conceal his crying. 
like you could hear his crying throughout the night. Ibn Abbas he says that Umar had two tunnels under his eyes. SubhanAllah, from the amount of crying that he would do at night when he would read the Qur'an. It's like two tunnels, like the tears had eroded a part of his face from the amount of crying that he would do when he would recite the Qur'an at night. And Umar when he would hear the Qur'an, they said he would, he would, he would be as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was addressing him, addressing him directly. So one time he went out and he heard a reciter read Surah At-Tur. And when he heard the reciter read Surah At-Tur, and he heard the verses about the punishment, SubhanAllah, the punishment is what worried him. When he heard the verses about the punishment, he said, by the Lord of the Kaaba, he's talking to me. Allah is talking to me. And he became so distressed that he fell sick for some time, and the people would come to visit him, not knowing what caused him his fatigue. Like Umar heard the verses of the Quran and they stung him sometimes because he worried about himself. And this is something, by the way, that I want us to take as one of the most important lessons from the life of Umar. Why does everyone love the story of Umar His strength, right? Anytime you want to put someone in line, right? You want to put someone in check, you reference the story of Umar Why am I being this rough? Well, Umar was like this. Why am I talking to you this way? Don't you know Umar spoke this way? Why am I, you know, you know, we justify our anger or we justify our harshness sometimes by trying to reference Umar But the thing is, is that if you don't have the tahajjud of Umar, don't use the stick of Umar. You don't have his night prayer, don't try to claim his stick. His standing at night made him harsher on himself than he was on anyone else to where when Umar was rectifying the affairs of people, there was never any nafs in it, there was never any self in it. And people knew that. You know, subhanAllah, when you have a, a, a leader and you know that the leader works harder than you, what does that do? It naturally inspires you. And so when the person tells you, you know, to, gives you that nudge to move further, to do better, you know that it's coming from a place of goodness and that that person leads by example. They always knew that Umar was harsher on himself than anyone else. That he pushed himself more than he pushed others. And that just as he was trying to cause the shayateen to flee from him, from his voice when he was praying at night, in the way that he managed the affairs of the community, he was causing the shayateen to flee. He was bringing people to the best versions of themselves. So Umar pushed the people to ibadah. And by the way, this is instructive even in the leadership uh, of Umar radiallahu Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu mentioned when, uh, when, when Umar appointed him in charge in Iraq, in Kufa, the first letter he receives, you know, you imagine like this is going to be your, your, your instruction. You're going to be the governor of one of the two Iraqs. You're because at that time they called Kufa and Basra the two Iraqs. So you're going to be a governor of a mighty place. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu the first thing he starts off with, he says, He said, listen, the most important of your affairs to me, I'm appointing you as a leader, is your salah. 
Be mindful of your prayer. Guard your prayer. فَإِنَّكَ إِنْ ضَيَعْتَهَا Because if you lose your prayer, فَأَنْتَ لِمَا سِوَاهَا أَضْيَعْ Then you will lose everything beyond it. You lose your prayer, you lose everything. Like SubhanAllah, this is my first instruction to you as a leader, as a governor, not to be savvy. He didn't give him some technical instructions about being a political leader. Be mindful of your salah because if you lose your salah, then you will lose everything after your prayer. And so that's the fifth thing we see from Umar radiallahu anhu. And of course, his worship is something that is distinguished with his sadaqah, with his charity, with his fasting and everything like that. Number six, perhaps the most distinguishing factor of his khilafah is his adl. And we're going to talk about his adl, his justice, inshallah ta'ala, um, next week when we actually talk about some of the things that happen under his khilafah. But, you know, the, the, the narrations in this regard are plentiful. Uh, the famous story of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, where he uh, said to the people, do not make the, to limit the dowry, to limit the mahr. And a woman said to Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that uh, you cannot limit what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not limit. And Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, and this is the Musannaf of Abdul Razak, he said, the woman is right and Umar is wrong. Like, she put me in my place, I agree, she's right. She told the truth. The story of Salman al-Farisi radiallahu ta'ala anhu, where Umar radiallahu anhu stood up and he said, listen and obey, hear and obey, which is the way that they would start as they're about to give instructions as the Khulafa. And Salman radiallahu anhu said, wallahi la nasma' wa la We will not listen to you nor will we obey you. And Umar radiallahu anhu did not say, hold on, come here. Let me, let me make an example out of you. Umar radiallahu anhu said, why? <laughs> Can you tell me why? I want to know why, because this wouldn't come from you, O Salman, unless there was something. And he said, you took two garments, two cloths for yourself, and you only gave us one cloth. SubhanAllah, like you think about the affairs of the ummah, right? When you have leaders like that, that's, that's just, that is something else. You know, imagine if that was the complaint we had with our leaders, today in the Muslim world. You took two for yourself and you gave one to everyone else, right? And Umar anhu could have just said, Salman, give me a break. I'm the Khalifa. I can take two cloths and give you one. Instead, Umar anhu calls his son Abdullah to explain that Umar anhu is so tall that Abdullah gave him his cloth and they weave them together as one, so that it, co- it could cover the body of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he actually did not take two and give everyone one. Salman radiallahu anhu said, now we will hear and obey. Okay, case is closed then. SubhanAllah, that is the justice of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. There are a few other narrations that I'll mention, some of them not as well known. And Imam al-Sha'bi rahimahullah, he says that one time, because uh, this one's very practical for, for, for you when you're buying a car, okay? Uh, Imam al-Sha'bi says, one time Umar radiallahu anhu took a horse to test ride a horse. He was the Khalifa and he was looking to purchase a horse. So he test ride, took the horse for a test ride. While Umar radiallahu anhu was on the horse, the leg of the horse slipped and broke. Could be because he was so big, Allah knows best. But the point is, the horse messed up in the test drive. So Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he came back to the man, he gave him back his horse with a broken leg. The man said, Al-Qadha. He said, I want judgment. Umar is the Khalifa. Right? Like, what do you mean judgment? You know, go find another horse. No, Umar radiallahu anhu said, Okay, you're right. He said, who do you want to judge? He said, La arda illa bi min al-Iraq. 
The man said, I will not be pleased except with a judge named Shurayh from Iraq, who was not even a Sahabi, he was a Tabi'i. Umar anhu said, fine. So Umar anhu called Shurayh. I mean, Shurayh has to judge between the Khalifa and the horse dealer. <laughs> By the way, this doesn't absolve car dealers, all right? If you know that the, the, the horse of the, the leg of the horse is broken before you give someone a test drive of the horse, then it's on you, okay? Uh, but with this car slash horse in this regard, uh, Shurayh heard them both out. Shurayh said to Umar anhu, he said, look, you took the horse and it was healthy and in good condition. You should have returned the horse in the same way. So Shurayh ruled against Umar anhu, And he told Umar anhu, you have to either replace him with a horse like it, or you have to pay him the damages. Umar anhu said, I like you, you're a Qadi now. I appoint you as a judge. So he appointed him as a judge in Iraq, just because he said your judgment was fair, makes sense, and you know what, you're gonna be a judge now. Because you judged against me, you had the courage, you had the integrity to hold that judgment even against me, you get to be the Qadi uh, now. Uh, there are multiple narrations, subhanAllah, too many of them to go through. One other one, Sa'id ibn Musayyib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, because there are multiple ones that involve non-Muslims. Remember the Khilafah of Umar spread, and there were many non-Muslims now, that were from Ahl al-Dhimma, that, that lived under Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. One time, uh, you know, there was a man uh, that disputed with a Jewish man under, under Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and Umar radiallahu anhu, he ruled in favor of the Jew. And the Jewish man responded and he said, Sadaqta wallah. He said, you've told the truth, or you have judged with truth. Umar radiallahu anhu said, he poked him, he said, how do you know? And he said, because we find written in the Torah, that none judges with the truth except that Allah sends an angel on his right and an angel on his left and they keep him steady with the truth. And if he abandons the truth, then the angels abandon him. Another time where Umar anhu saw an old man uh, from, uh, from the people of the book and he was begging for charity. And Umar anhu, he looked at him and he said, أَخَذْنَا مِنْكَ الْجِزْيَةَ فِي that we took from you the jizya, we, you know, we took the tax from you while you were young. And then we lost you when you became old? No, no way. And he took the man and Umar assigned for a portion from Baytul Mal, from the public treasury, to meet his needs. The story of Amr ibn As and his son. Amr was of course the conqueror of Egypt under Umar And the son of Amr, whose name was Muhammad. So this wasn't Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As, this was another son named Muhammad ibn Amr ibn As, who uh, was a horse rider and he used to race with people. And he raced with a Coptic in Egypt, a Christian man in Egypt. And this man was a slave. And the man beat him. So what did he do? He went to him after the race and he hit him on the head. With his, with his whip, and he said, Ana ibn al-Akramin, I'm the son of the nobles here. I'm the son of the conquerors, I'm the son of the nobles. How dare you humiliate me this way? The man, subhanAllah, heard that Umar anhu in Medina, doesn't let this type of stuff goes, go, so he makes his way to Medina to complain about the son of the governor of Egypt. Talk about taking a risk. He goes to Umar anhu, he complains. Umar anhu summons Amr ibn As, Think about the sensitivities of this. To leave Egypt, leave your post and bring your son with you and come to Medina. 
all for this man, subhanAllah. Brings him in front of him, and he verifies that this indeed took place. He hands the whip to uh, this Christian man, and he says to this Coptic slave, he says, uh, whip him back. Go ahead and hit him the way he hit you. All this is happening for that reason. The man was hesitant, but Umar radiallahu anhu assured him, he said, hit him back. And then he said, now put the whip on the head of Amr ibn As radiallahu ta'ala anhu, because it was in his name that you were humiliated. SubhanAllah. Like just to establish the balance in society. That's the justice of Umar. Now you might read that and you say, maybe Umar radiallahu anhu had something personal with Amr radiallahu anhu, and this was an, an, an excuse. No, because guess what happens also in his khilafah? Umar had a son named Abdurrahman. Now Umar, by the way, where are all my Abdurrahmans here? I see at least one, Abdurrahman ibn. All right. Umar anhu named three of his sons Abdurrahman. Because the Prophet said, the most beloved of names to Allah, Abdurrahman and Abdullah. So he had Abdurrahman al-Kabir. He had the big Abdurrahman, the middle Abdurrahman, the small Abdurrahman. He literally named them that way. Okay? So this was one of the Abdurrahmans in Egypt. And he became intoxicated and he also committed zina, he also committed adultery. Now, this is the son of a Khalifa. By the way, SubhanAllah shows you, you know, SubhanAllah, that Hidayah is so in, in, in the hands of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Sons of prophets, sons and daughters of, of the righteous people, you know. Not all of Umar and his kids turned out like Hafsa and Abdullah. May Allah be pleased with all of the companions. So he, he messed up, he slipped. And it was severe, it's a major sin. Amr ibn As was the governor of Egypt. He decided to carry out the punishment in private and he barely did it. You know, just kind of like symbolic but in private because let's not make a scene, this is the son of the Khalifa. Umar anhu, when he heard about that, he called for Abdurrahman. And he treated him, publicly carried out the flogging the way that everybody else would be, have it carried out. SubhanAllah, to establish justice. No, no, my son is not going to get special treatment because he's the son of Amir al-Mu'mineen. Absolutely not. So SubhanAllah, both of these situations involve Amr ibn As ta'ala anhu. The seventh thing, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرُ بِالْعَدْلِ وَالْإِحْسَانِ His mercy. People don't think of Umar anhu in regards to his mercy, but his mercy is special. It is special. And SubhanAllah, the beauty of Abu Bakr and Umar, may Allah be pleased with them both, is that when Abu Bakr anhu assumed Khilafah, Abu Bakr was known for his leniency. But he needed to show some toughness in the face of the apostasy of Musaylam al-Kadhab and that threat. So much so that Umar anhu thought he was being a little bit too harsh. When Umar anhu assumed Khilafah, he was known for his harshness. There was a fear, maybe he's going to be so hard. Instead, we see the leniency of Umar anhu came through. The mercy of Umar bin Khattab anhu came through. And this is actually a dua that Umar anhu used to make. SubhanAllah. Shaddad ibn Aus anhu said that from the frequent duas of Umar, he used to say, Allahumma inni da'ifun faqawwini. Oh Allah, I'm weak. Make me strong. Allahumma inni da'if faqawwini. Make me strong. Now, is he talking about physical strength? He's talking about what the Prophet ﷺ said. The strong person is not the one that overcomes others, it's the one that's able, the one who's always able to control themselves in anger. That's strength. So he said, Oh Allah, I'm weak. Make me strong. Wa inni shadidun. Ya Allah, I'm harsh. I'm severe. Shidda. 
You know, subhanAllah, self-awareness is the most important ingredient to, to, to tazkiyah after sincerity. After spiritual purification, you know, after your sincerity and your, and your process of spiritual purification, are you self-aware or not, right? You know, Umar radiallahu anhu is self-aware. He says, inni shadeed. Sometimes I'm too severe. Falayini. Make me lenient. Layini. Make me merciful. Wa inni bakhilun. Fasakhini. And sometimes I'm stingy. So make me generous. Oh Allah, I am weak. Make me strong. Oh Allah, I am harsh. Make me lenient. Oh Allah, I am stingy. Make me generous. SubhanAllah, this was the dua of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu on multiple occasions. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu also used to say, La yarhamu man la yarham la yurham. The, the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu whoever does not show mercy will not have mercy shown to them. Wala yughfaru man la yaghfir. And he who does not forgive will not be forgiven by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلَا يُعْفُ أو وَلَا يُعْفَ عَمَّنْ لَمْ يَعْفُ وَلَا يُوْقَ مَنْ لَا يَتَوَقَّ Umar anhu said that whoever مَنْ لَا يَرْحَمْ لَا يُرْحَمْ Whoever does not show mercy will not have mercy shown to them. And whoever does not forgive will not be forgiven. And whoever does not pardon, okay? Whoever does not pardon will not have al-'afu, will not have pardon shown to them. And whoever does not protect others will not be protected. And this is also a narration from Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He once had an incident where uh, Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that there was a man that had requested permission to speak to Umar radiallahu anhu in front of the people. And he accused Umar radiallahu anhu as the khalifa of all sorts of things. He said, Wallahi, you do not give us enough, nor do you judge with us in justice. Made these heavy accusations to Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, you could start to see the anger that was inside of him from the accusation. Like, I do everything to establish justice. How dare you just come and try to throw this accusation in front of the people? And he said that Al-Hur uh, said to him, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, O commander of the believers, Inna Allah ta'ala qala li nabihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam khud al-afwa wa'mur bil ma'roof wa'arid an al-jahileen to show forgiveness, to enjoin what is good and to turn away from the ignorant. So he said Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu immediately. It was as if the man didn't say anything to him. SubhanAllah, he calmed down right away. But the best part about this narration is the last part of it, by the way. He says, وَكَانَ وَقَّافًا عِنْدَ كِتَابِ اللَّهِ That Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu would always be stopped by the Book of Allah, meaning he, 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 he adhered to the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so he stopped at where the Qur'an told him to stop. Like right away, the Qur'an says this, okay, سَمِعْنَا وَأَطَعْنَا We hear and we obey. There was absolutely no hesitation when it came to the Qur'an. And this of course shows in his legal system, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu of course is famous for waiving the punishment for theft in his time because there was a time where people were poor and so those especially that were stealing food, in particular the poor that had to steal food, Umar did not carry out the had of that. He also said that for me to relax the punishments uh, by granting doubts to the person he said, for me to relax punishments, to not punish people by making excuses for them, by casting doubts on them, is more beloved to me than applying punishment to them while I have doubts about whether or not they are guilty or not. So Umar radiallahu anhu showed mercy 
in that regard as well. And of course, the mercy to the animals, the mercy to anyone that had any complaint in his time, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Number eight, his humility, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Umar radiallahu anhu demonstrated a tawadr, humility in every way. He used to say, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, rahimallahu man ahda ilayya uyubi. Rahimallahu man ahda ilayya uyubi. May Allah have mercy on the one who shows me my faults. He said, if you're not going to be willing to tell me about my faults, then don't sit in my presence. I don't want people around me that are not going to tell me that you made a mistake here, you made a mistake there. SubhanAllah. As self-aware as he was, Umar radiallahu anhu wanted people around him that would humble him and show him his faults radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu he said about Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, if someone said to Umar, ittaqillah, be mindful of Allah, his entire stature would shrink. It was like you watched him shrink because someone would tell him to fear Allah. Immediately, he shrunk. And he was extremely attentive and he would listen to what you were going to say next. But the words to freeze Umar were, Ittaqillah, fear Allah. SubhanAllah, we hate people telling us things sometimes, right? Correcting us. No one likes to be corrected. Abdullah bin Mubarak, rahimahullah, he stopped giving advice to the people. They said, how come you don't give nasiha anymore? How come you don't give advice to the people? He said, because I don't really see people want to hear advice anymore. So I just stopped. I stopped telling people things about themselves. I stopped giving people advice because I feel like no one really wants to hear it anymore. Where are the people that are seeking nasiha, seeking that sincere advice? So Umar radiallahu anhu, if you started off a sentence with him, ittaqillah, child, adult, rich, poor, whatever your status was in society, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu would shrink in that regard. And by the way, this is a sign as well of his distance from hypocrisy because the hypocrite, idha khasama fajr. When they get into arguments, they transgress, they become heated, they start to curse, they start to yell. Where do you see Umar radiallahu anhu yelling, cursing at people, being filthy with people? When does Umar radiallahu anhu become vulgar with people? And when is it ever from, his lo- from a lowly place? doesn't happen with him radiallahu anhu because his anger was always righteous anger radiallahu ta'ala anhu. One of my favorite sayings from Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu in this regard. Because what do we, what do we usually attribute uh, strength to? The person with the loudest voice. Sometimes the person with the loudest voice dominates the gathering, right? Or the loudest uh, tweet, <laughs> the loudest on social media, right? They, they rumble everything by their loud voices, by virtue of their loud voices. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, لا يعجبنكم من الرجل طنطنته طنطنته is uh, his, do not be impressed by طنطنته uh, is his, his, the, the volume of his voice. Don't be impressed by the, the, the roar, the, the loudness of a person's voice. وَلَكِنَّهُ مَنْ أَدَّ الْأَمَانَ SubhanAllah. He said, don't be impressed by the, the volume in the voice of a man. That's not a real man, a person who can raise their volume. He said, but rather if a person fulfills the trusts of people, and restrains himself from hurting the honor of people, Umar said, that's a man. SubhanAllah. Like that's, you want to see a strong man, a powerful man, a person who holds himself back from taking away, from hurting the honor of the believers, from taking away from the honor of the people. 
So subhanAllah, the opposite of what we attribute strength to in that regard, the story as well of Hurmuzan, uh, who was a ruler from Persia, when he came to Al-Madina, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and by the way, there are about six narrations of Umar radiallahu anhu taking a nap out in the open on his shoes. The Khalifa of the Muslims used to nap outside with his shoes under his head. Just pick a tree in Medina and just take a nap and he wouldn't set up a bodyguard. SubhanAllah, that was his habit radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So Hurmuzan, the pompous ruler of Persia. The famous story, it doesn't have a sanad to it, uh, but the famous story of Hurmuzan when he came to Al-Madina and he asked to see Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu and he's expecting to see a palace like the one in Persia. Instead, they say, that's Umar radiallahu anhu right there. Amir al-Mu'mineen, the most powerful man in the world, is actually sleeping under that tree on his, uh, on his sandals. Because you know what? Umar radiallahu anhu did not sleep at night, but he'd never miss his qaylula. He'd take his nap every day. He always took his nap. So his nap was out there under the tree. So he looks at Umar radiallahu anhu and he says the famous words, Hakamta fa'adalta fa'aminta fa'nimta. Hakamta fa'adalta fa'aminta fa'nimta. You ruled hakamta with justice, adalta fa'aminta, so you were secure fa'nimta, so you were able to sleep amongst the people in this way. Like you didn't have to worry because you didn't wrong people to where you had to run away from people. You established so much justice amongst the people, but you didn't have anyone to run away from. You were able to just sleep out in the open in that way. So that's number eight, we learn his humility. Number nine, and inshallah ta'ala, I'll try to wrap up because I know Isha is, uh, is coming up. Number nine is one of the hardest things to come to terms with with his story. And it's good sometimes to read the biographies that challenge your, your, your lifestyle a bit. Let me, let me preface what I'm about to share. His zuhd, his asceticism, his poverty. Sometimes we look to the Islam that lets us feel like everything we're doing is okay and we don't need to challenge ourselves a bit. And just like sometimes we need to read about the fear of Allah to balance us out because our hope is becoming delusional, sometimes we, we need some of these harsher or stricter examples from the companions of the Prophet If you're looking for the companions, they used to wear nice clothes and they used to live in nice places and that enjoyed good food, you'll find them. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu is not that person. And I want to actually mention what he says about himself. This is an authentic narration. Ahnaf ibn Qais radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says that one time, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said that do not think that I could not have a fine life, law shi'tu, if I wanted to, la ja'altu akbadan, wasli'la'an, wasli'naban. He said, if I wanted to, I could have had the finest cuts of meats, the, the best livers. I know that for some of us, we don't eat liver. I don't eat liver, but that was, you know, it's a fine piece. So the best cuts of meats, the best liver. He says, I could have had the best of food, the best of living. And he said, I know what a good life is like. I mean, he used to live that life before Islam, right? He said, I could have had all of those things. وَلَكِنِّي أَسْتَبْقِيَ حَسَنَاتِ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ عَزَّ وَجَلْ وَصَفَ أَقْوَامًا فَقَالْ أَذْهَبْتُمْ طَيِّبَاتِكُمْ فِي حَيَاتِكُمْ وَالدُّنْيَا وَاسْتَمْتَعْتُمْ بِهَا He said, but I chose instead that I want to keep my good deeds to be rewarded later on because Allah has described some people as those who have enjoyed all of their pleasures in this dunya and they have left nothing for themselves in the hereafter. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu one time saw Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Jabir radiallahu anhu was walking with a big uh, bag of meat 
and he said to Jabir radiallahu anhu, I mean a beautiful Sahabi, a virtuous Sahabi, he said, Jabir, what is that? Like as if he's doing something wrong. Jabir said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, it's meat. And he said, Jabir, what did you do? He said, I bought a lot of meat. I mean, what did I do wrong? It's meat, it's lahma. And don't make this a, a vegetarian, a vegan halaqa, please, all right? There's something else to this. And Umar radiallahu anhu said, What made you do that? Like, why did you buy all of this? Jabir radiallahu anhu said, I just felt like eating meat. I desired meat. Umar radiallahu anhu said, You mean every time you want something, you just buy it? Amazon Prime? Impulsive buyers. You mean anytime you just feel like getting something, you just buy it? And he said, Don't, didn't you hear the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, أَذْهَبَتُمْ طَيِّبَاتِكُمْ فِي حَيَاتِكُمُ الدُّنْيَا وَاسْتَمْتَعْتُمْ بِهَا Don't you fear that maybe you're getting all of your goodness in this life? And this is another narration, by the way. Again, don't turn this into a vegan halaqa. Um, but Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, because meat, of course, was considered uh, the, uh, the way of which a person um, you know, enjoys their food. And there, this is actually in a muwatta where he said, "Iyakum wal-lahm." He said, "Beware of eating too much meat." فَإِنَّ لَهُ ضَرَاوَةً كَضَرَاوَةِ الْخَمْرِ He said that it can be as addictive as wine. Now, by the way, Imam Malik, rahimahullah, is the one narrating the narration. And guess what Imam Malik used to do? He used to eat meat. So there is something here to talk about balance, right? The importance of balance when we're studying the Sahaba of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was a person who was known for his poverty, his zuhd, his asceticism, and who used to warn the people from being too impulsive. SubhanAllah, there's a narration to him that if you have a comfortable bed, don't always sleep on it. Take a break. Like a siyam, you fast from your delights, you fast from your blessings, and what does that cause you to do? You come out of Ramadan and you have an appreciation for those blessings that you used to take for granted. So sometimes a person should take a break and Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu used to advocate for that type of methodology that don't be an impulsive buyer, don't just buy everything that you can. Yes, it's halal, fine, there's no one that's saying it's haram, but is it good for your tazkiyah? Is it good for your spirituality? Just get used to the idea that I have enough money, let me go buy it. I can purchase this, let me purchase it. Or should you actually weigh things out a bit and sometimes deprive yourself, not to a point of self-harm, but sometimes deprive yourself to a point where you will appreciate the blessings even more. The last thing that I will end with, self-accountable. SubhanAllah, you don't find a person that was more self-accountable than Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, so much so, who can tell me the most famous statement of muhasaba, the most famous statement of accountability? I got it in Arabic and English. Right? Not that one, not, not that one. That's coming, inshallah. <laughs> but, and Jazakumallah khair, may Allah reward you. Famous statement. Hold yourselves accountable before you are held accountable. And weigh yourself before you are weighed, meaning your deeds. Put yourself in the scale of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before Allah puts you in His scale. فَإِنَّهُ أَهْوَنُ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الْحِسَابِ غَدًا أَن تُحَاسِبُوا أَنفُسَكُمُ الْيَوْمِ It'll be easier for you to hold yourselves accountable today than to be held accountable tomorrow. Hold yourselves accountable. SubhanAllah, with Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, 
as many times as the Prophet ﷺ gave him the glad tidings of Jannah, as many times as the Prophet ﷺ assured him, all of the dreams the Prophet ﷺ had about him. The Prophet ﷺ saying that if there was to be a Prophet that would come after me, it would have been Umar. All of these things, and Umar anhu would go to Hudayf ibn al-Yaman anhu, who was the secret keeper of the Prophet ﷺ, who knew the names of the hypocrites, and ask Hudayfa, am I one of them? Am I one of the munafiqeen? Can you imagine that? That was the amount of his holding himself accountable where he would ask Hudayfa uh, ibn uh, al-Yaman that question. Just a few narrations inshaAllah ta'ala and then we'll uh, stop. We find a narration where Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, لَوْ نَادَ مُنَادٍ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ أَيُّهَا النَّاسِ إِنَّكُمْ دَاخِلُونَ الْجَنَّةِ كُلُّكُمْ أَجْمَعُونَ إِلَّا رَجُلًا وَاحِدًا لَخِفْتُ أَنْ أَكُونَ هُوَ SubhanAllah. He said that if a caller from the heaven was to call out and say, Oh people, all of you are entering Jannah together, except for one person. He said, I would be afraid that maybe that's me. That's powerful self-accountability. I mean, would you feel pretty safe knowing all the terrible people that have walked the face of the earth? Like if a person called from Jannah and said, all of you go to Jannah except for one person, probably think you're not that person. Umar radiallahu anhu said, I would think that it might be me. But then he said, وَلَوْ نَادَ مُنَادٍ أَيُّهَا النَّاسِ إِنَّكُمْ دَاخِرُونَ النَّارِ إِلَّا رَجُلًا وَاحِدًا لَرَجَوْتُ أَنْ أَكُونَ هُوَ But then he said, if a caller announced that all of you are entering in the hellfire except for one person, I would hope Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would make me that one person. That's the balance of hope and fear. And I end subhanAllah with Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu when he appointed him as, as Khalifa because we're going to pick up next week with his Khilafa radiallahu ta'ala anhu as the shepherd leader. Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu when he appointed him as the Khalifa, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu he said about Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, he said, Afrasu nas thalatha. The three people, or the, the best three people in regards to their intuition, the three that got things right, they saw things the right way, were three people. He said, the first one, Bintu Sahib Madian, Haythu Qalat, Ya Abati, Istajirhu, Inna Khayraman Istajart, Al Qawi, Al Amin. The girl in Madian who said to her father, right, Oh, my father, appoint him because the best of those that you appoint is the strong and the trustworthy one, meaning the girl who saw something in Musa. So that's the first person with great intuition. The second person, he said, was the wife of, you, of, of, the, of uh, Al-Aziz. When she saw Yusuf السلام, and she said, Asa an walada. You know, he looks special. This boy has something in him. So, akrimi mathwa. Let's take care of him. It might be that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will benefit us through him or we would take him as a son. And he said the third one, Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when he saw in Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu that he was the proper Khalifa. What a favor that Abu Bakr did for us radiallahu anhu by appointing Umar as the Khalifa. And subhanAllah, when you see Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu appointing Umar as the Khalifa, he's asking the companions, what do you think? What do you think? He's calling Usayd ibn Hulayr. He's calling Abdurrahman ibn Auf. He's calling Ali ibn Abi Talib. He's calling Az-Zubayr. He's calling all these companions. He's asking them one by one for their opinion about Umar. And I have to end with this one because it speaks to all of the virtues that we've spoken about. The best answer he got was from Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And realize Uthman is... Literally next in line, right? I mean, he's Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Who is more beloved? Who, I mean, he's in the running, right? 
Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu asked Uthman radiallahu anhu, tell me what you know about Umar bin Khattab. And Uthman said, you know, you know him better than I do, right? I mean, you know Umar, of course. It's Rasulullah some Abu Bakr and Umar, right? And he said, even so, Ya Aba Abdullah, speaking to Uthman, he said, tell me about, what do you think about Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu? He says, Allahumma ilmi bihi anna sariratahu khayrun min alaniyatihi wa laysa fina mithra. He said, by Allah, what people don't know about him is even better than what people know about him. How amazing is that? I know for a fact that if people knew his secrets, they would admire him even more than they admire him right now. His private life would make him more worthy of the position that you are appointing him to than all of the public virtues that we know about him. And there is no one amongst us that is like him. Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, Rahimakallah, ya Aba Abdullah, may Allah have mercy on you, Abu Abdullah. And he said, Wallahi, if I was not to choose him, I was going to choose you. Like, subhanAllah, you gave me everything I needed to hear about Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. I know him, but I'm doing my due diligence. But his private life is even better than his public life. His secrets are even better than what people know about him. All of the virtues of Umar radiallahu anhu can be summed up with ikhlas, with sincerity. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be pleased with him. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be pleased with us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us these noble characteristics, these noble qualities, these noble virtues, and to gather us with the Prophet with the companions, with the prophets, with the righteous ones, with the martyrs in the highest level of Jannah al-Firdaus. Allahumma ameen. Inshallah ta'ala, next week we will continue with Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research. Dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in every week for the next episode, and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam.